Hey everyone, welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books. And I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. If you'd like to support the show, there's links in our show notes where you can contribute to our coffee, sign up for our newsletter, or you can even just tell a friend about us if you think they need more recommendations like we're about to make in this episode. Before we started recording, we had a bit of a controversial conversation that we thought, let's stop and have it here. Because you should all hear us argue about vegetables. (laughs) Because Chris said... Passionate. We're very passionate about vegetables. Very passionate. So it turns out we are aligned about kale. Kale is garbage. Kale is is bullshit. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you need it, throw it in your smoothie. If you need the fiber, I guess. But uh, there's so many other better ways to get fiber, in my opinion. Hello, Kashi Goline cereals. But also like kale. So this is a true story. So whenever I have extra little pieces of vegetables or like sweet potatoes, things like that, um, I throw the extras out in the yard for the woodland creatures to eat them. Because here we have possums, we have raccoons, we have birds, squirrels, we have them all. So rather than dump it, and we don't have compost here, but uh, I throw it out there. And uh, I I made this, I had one of those um, delivery, home delivery, where you make a meal, you know, you make a nutritious meal. And they gave me like 20 pounds of kale for this meal. And I'm like, no way am I eating all this kale. So I cut like two leaves. I cut it real small, put it in the meal. And the rest I threw out for the animals and nobody mm-hmm. touched that kale. Not a but single why? animal touched the kale because it's See? nasty. Kale they knew. Nasty. Animals don't even eat it. No. So you reminded me there was this time. So my grandmother, very much a product of the Great Depression, like she went through some stuff at that time. Her family was quite poor, unfortunately, you know, alcoholics welfare situation and the great depression was like rough for everybody and so she wouldn't let food go like she was just not you know every so often my mom or one of my aunts would go in and just like clear out the salad dressing bottles because they were nasty and so there was one day though and if leftovers would get to the point that nobody would eat them she would put them out for the cats because they lived my grandparents had a farm Mm -hmm. of course there's always it's a farm there's cats all the time and there was one time there was this chili, like it was like, it was bad. Like it was so bad. And she put it out and even the cats wouldn't touch it. It was like, see the cats know someone to get rid of the fucking chili, put it in the garbage. It's not okay. I like to think the cats would also agree. <laughs> like cat eating chili. Like that throws me. My sister told me she, uh, she has a cabin like a couple hours South of Kansas city in the woods, of course, because she lives for scary movies. So why not have a Oh, sure. Why not live in one? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So she puts out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, because there's a fox that eats them. Like she'll <laughs> like put out eggs. Like he, like he brings his little hands up <laughs> to hold the sandwich to his face. But she was like, she put, put out this peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm-hmm. and she went inside to do something and she went back out and it was gone. She's like, what the hell? I just put this out. And she didn't see a fox. So they had to pull up the cameras. And it was a black cat that came and stole her sandwich. And I'm thinking, <laughs> do cats eat peanut butter and jelly? I mean, is that a thing for cats to eat? I know they love bread. But I have no idea. I think I'm they saying. just... So that's weird think, for me to hear about cats eating a bunch of stuff. I think they will eat whatever they can get their hands on. 
I'm starting to think Ooh. your sister lives in Wes Anderson movie. She, you know what? I my sister, she's the one we went through this. How horrible my sister is. She's the one that took me to the ring, saying it was mm-hmm. romantic comedy. So my sister's all about scary movies. And I swear to God, if I if I knew that she didn't have guns in the house, I would go down to that cabin and I would scare the shit out of her. <laughs> but they have guns, and so I can't do that. So <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you can do, do it that. once. <laughs> right. And then that's it. Yeah. No, so I more than that. that. Yeah. So you started because mm-hmm. the Brussels sprouts. You and I started talking about Brussels sprouts. And mm-hmm. my whole life I ate them. I didn't want to. It was one of those mm-hmm. where I had to sit at the table and eat my Brussels, at least one Brussels sprout before I went to bed. Like mm-hmm. I would sit there until like seven, eight o'clock at night and I would not eat that thing. And it would just get grosser because my mom boiled them and then put that uh, yes. on it for me to try to eat it. And I hated it. And so I've always hated Brussels sprouts. But then I got the air fryer and I got some spices and I said, you know, I'm just going to try it. And oh my gosh, I have like nailed the perfect roasted Brussels sprout and I can make Brussels sprouts chips and they're so good. And you're shaking your head at me like I'm crazy, but you put the right spices on it and it's amazing. Yes. Yes. I don't know how many times (laughs) I've been told (laughs) you're just not eating them the right way. (laughs) And I have tried all of those recipes and now I refuse to believe, although I heard somewhere or I read somewhere that actually whether you like or hate Brussels sprouts is very similar to whether you like or hate cilantro. That it's I hate like cilantro. This genetic... I hate it. I hate it. It oh, tastes see, like, like It is soap. I like cilantro, but in no. like, I don't want like a whole mouthful of it, but with like Thai stuff. Like I'll just mm. go suck on a Tide pod if I wanted to eat cilantro. I mean, it's no, Tide, it Tide like told soap. people to stop doing that. <laughs> they did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they really did. Cause all those jackasses that were. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Don't listen to me. No. But yes. No. Cilantro has a uh, soapy, perfumey taste. And I, ugh. I actually, when I go to Chipotle, I have them get brown rice out of the back because the brown rice they cook ahead of time doesn't have cilantro in it. So I'm out. And so does that's the, how I do it. Does the other rice have cilantro in it? The white rice? Uh, yes, but I like brown rice. Oh, yeah. We don't have that here. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, sorry. You are missing out. And I haven't tried it when I go to the States either. So I, don't I know there's I- so many other restaurants and stuff to try. You don't want to try a chain. No, if I'm traveling, no. I, right. I'll only try a chain if it's like, I've been hearing all about it. And like, I'm mm-hmm. curious to try something, but otherwise I'd much rather like, okay, what's a local, like, what's the, what's right. the good place that local people want to go to? Exactly. And yeah. for uh, here, it's not Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> it is not in Kansas no. city. No, you come here. I'm going to take you to barbecue, like real barbecue, because that's what we're that's known what for. I want. Yeah. Yep. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I got you. <laughs> Chris, what have you been reading or watching lately? Okay, so I have been watching all the Jeopardies, like the regular Jeopardy and you know, the daytime Jeopardy with yeah. Jennings. And so then like they had the celebrity Jeopardy, the tournament of whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, like best of the best. The winner gets a million dollars for their, uh, I know, a million dollars for wow. their charity. And let me tell you, it is super easy. Like, I, <laughs> I don't even have to be watching the screen and I can just hear the question or the answer and I can ask the question. I mean, that's how yeah. easy it is. They make it easy so that celebrities don't look like idiots. 
I mean, it's all I mean, going to charity anyway. Right. So. Right. Like do the other contestants, is there any money that goes to their charity yes. of choice? Yeah. So the runner up gets 250,000 for their charity. And then the third place gets a hundred thousand. That's incredible. Right. And it has like, Will Wheaton was one of the, he was the third place. Mm. I oh, really? I, I would have yeah, thought he'd do better. Place. I would have thought so too. But the guy who won, uh, his name is Ike. And I, I kind of know, I remember him sort of, but I'm super excited because he actually is in Mel Brooks's History of the World Part Two that comes out in March. Wait, back, what? It's like 40 years ago. They're History bringing the it World. back? They're bringing it back. Yes. No. Yes. That How's was like- that going to work? I'm trying to imagine how well a Mel Brooks film would play now. I know. I know. Given I know. the humor in them. And like, I <laughs> love some of them, but I also understand that it is a problematic love. <laughs> it is. But some of them were so far advanced though, too, for the early eighties, they were yes. pretty far advanced, yes. but yes, they, they wouldn't hold up well. And it's, yeah, I'm sure they'll have like a, they have somebody there telling them what they can get away with and what they can't. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, history of the world was like family favorite. It's so funny. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah. So he said history of the world too. So like got on a thread with my family. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> but here we are 40 years later or whatever. And, and we have another movie that comes out in March. So he won. And, and then the guy, I can't remember his name, but he does the voice for the Goldbergs. Can't mm-hmm. think of his name. Palmer, I don't know. But anyway, so he he got he came in second and he was really smart. Like during the semifinals, he like killed it. He like was the best nice. of the best. He like killed it every time. So I thought he was gonna win. But then this other guy, he just like came out of nowhere and he was like hitting the they have like they have regular Jeopardy, double Jeopardy, and triple Jeopardy. So like they give oh. you every opportunity to like double your money, triple your money. Yeah. And there's one guy just he got really lucky by hitting all the uh the whatchamadoogers. Mm-hmm. Um the double the little daily doubles god i couldn't think of it yes so i've been watching all the jeopardies and they're over now uh, just regular jeopardy mm-hmm. and then i started on apple tv i started dear edward what's that i don't think i've even heard of it so here's the thing like i secretly think that they stole my idea it is about a plane wreck oh and there's one survivor it's a 12 year old boy basically it's kind of like pre and post you know how you see the how they all line up together. Like mm-hmm. you see the history of certain people and how the survivors relate to that person. I've only watched three episodes, but it's really, really good. And this, this poor kid, he's 12 years old and he's like a prodigy and he's like super smart. And he like was really close to his brother and his whole family was on the flight. And so now he has to go live with his uh, aunt and uncle and they are just a hot mess themselves. So yeah, so it's, it's very, it's very interesting and very good. So I'm pretty excited to get to the next episode of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have been watching the playoffs and yes. my awesome team, the Kansas City Chiefs, have made it to the Super Bowl. Congratulations. So, thank you. I feel like I'm responsible because I wrote a book about them. But um, also, by the time this episode drops, I'm either going to be super happy or super sad. So I'm hoping well, I'm be- super happy. I'm hoping <laughs> we won. you are too. Yes. <laughs> So that has been occupying my time. I've also been writing. I've, I have some deadlines coming up uh, that I've had actually the past and I need, I'm so behind. So you're doing your best. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to write as, as much as I can when I can. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing. What about you? 
What are you occupying your time with? Okay. So, a few things. Mm. Of course, I'm watching Drag Race season 15. And I have such mixed feelings about this season. Because on the one hand, it's an incredible batch of queens. And I mean, all the ones that I thought would go home early have gone home early. And now we're getting to where it's like, okay, like it's getting each week. It's a little tougher to even guess who's going to go home because they're so good. But it moved to MTV. And in moving to MTV, they took them from, I don't know how long it was with with commercials. So I'm going to say the without commercials because I'm watching them on a streaming platform in Canada Mm -hmm. that doesn't have them. So it's taken it from like a full hour, sometimes longer for the premieres to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so everything feels like that. I didn't realize how much that extra 20 minutes allowed everything to breathe, like more time to get to know the queens. They took out the judges' deliberations, which I think is a huge gap. Yeah. Like a huge, huge gap. And I, it's just like, I watch it, of course, because I have to, because if a new Drag Race episode drops, I have to watch it if like RuPaul is is in it. I don't watch all of the international franchises, but I'm hoping they'll go back to having a longer format. I read something about how MTV made it shorter so they could give that extra half hour to Big Brother or like real something, real best friends of WeHo or something like that. Oh my gosh. Todrick Hall is on it. Carson Kressley is on it. I haven't seen it, but like really you're gonna take the like one of the most popular franchises in the world right now and do it's weird so i'm gonna stick with it and then hope that it gets better in the future Hmm. um also neil and i started watching the most adorable show (laughs) ever it is so 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 cute because he was like hey do you want to try this and i'm like sure it's a japanese show there's lots of food in it. I like shows with food in it. <laughs> Let's give it a try. And it's called The Mac and I, Cooking for the Mako House. And it's about these two 16-year-old girls. And they're kind of at a point where it's like, well, you either go to high school or you just go get a job and live your life. And they're best friends. And they go to Kyoto to, to try to become Makos, like geisha apprentices mm-hmm. is what they're trying to do. And one of them is Kyo. And then the other one is Samire. And Samire is so good at it. And it's her dream, really. And Keo was like, yeah, I'll go. It's your dream. And we said, we'll always be together. And Keo is so crap at it. Like, she's <laughs> so bad. So this first episode is like, Keo is so bad at this. She can't do the dancing because she's not coordinated. She doesn't have the gravity she, or the gravitas. And she's just real bad at it. And they're going to cut her loose. But they yeah. figure out that she's really good at food. Like she's really good at cooking and the woman who had been cooking for them has an injury and she can't do it anymore anyway. And so they get to stay together because they're in the house and she's cooking for everybody. And it's just like, (laughs) it's all good vibes. It's like slice of life, really. There's no real plot to it as far as I can tell, but it's like every time. And there were a few times we were like, oh no, is this going to take a bad turn? Is this girl going to get sexually assaulted in this moment? It's like, no, it never. Or like, is this, are, is there going to be a fight? No. Every time you think something bad's going to happen, it doesn't because the show is about the power of friendship and food. It's just Perfect. delightful. So if anybody is having a rough time right now and just wants like a warm hug of a TV show, you absolutely should check that one out. There's only eight episodes. It's actually a pretty new show. 
we have one episode left to watch and I just, I love it with all my heart. I want mm. to just like wrap Keo in bubble wrap because she's so freaking cute. But then <laughs> if she was in bubble wrap, she couldn't cook me food. So right. maybe, See? maybe I'll wrap her lower <laughs> from bubble wrap. Rubble wrap. <laughs> that sounds uh, cute. Yeah. That's all the stuff. Unless you want to hear about the workout program I picked up again on Beachbody, but probably not. So Chris, what is your <laughs> official recommendation this week? Okay, so my recommendation is basically our two worlds colliding, yours and mine. Okay. So when I heard that there was an apocalyptic show, I was like super stoked. You know me. I mean, I everybody here knows how much I love everything zombie. You and do. normally I watch something until it ends or it's just simply too awful to continue. So I started watching The Last of Us because it stars Pedro Pascal, who's Joel in this. I know, everybody's I know. everybody's internet boyfriend. I'm sorry, right. I don't care your sexual persuasion. If you don't find him charming, <laughs> you have right. to at least find him charming, even if you don't want to bang him. He like, is charming, right. He's the Mandalorian, of course. So, right. Exactly. So you got to love him. So his job in this series is to get a teenager, Ellie, to a safe zone because she hasn't turned into a zombie, even though she's been bitten twice. So they need to find out why she's as special as she is. All of this is based off of a video game that centers on uh, LGBTQ characters. And I know that you haven't played it because, of course, zombies. But I also know no, that you're a gamer. But Neil and Neil's played it. And oh, he, he has. Okay. loves it. He said it was really excellent. And actually... This just to give you like little peek into what my marriage is like, because he is the sweetest person on the planet. Mm, he was like, okay, you should watch this cutscene. You should cut, you should come <laughs> like making sure that I got to see some of that good queer content. Right. Because I wasn't going to play the game. So yeah. Right. I got, I got I... to see basically all the stuff that people were freaking out about when it came That's out. Sweet. Yeah. So it's not as action packed as most zombie series or movies are. But each episode tells an individual story and you can kind of tell that it's a video game, but it's not super obvious, but you can tell like, oh, here are some secret stash guns. Oh, that's kind of like a video game. And it's, it reminds me of uh, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, mm. how that is a, is a movie based on a, on a game. So you yeah. can kind of tell that there's like gamey stuff in it. I want to recommend the show for all of that, you know, because of the zombie stuff. And also, especially episode three, because the whole world is talking about episode three. Okay. So I am so glad you said that because it was funny. I texted you. So I was like, well, obviously I have to watch this. So I'll, does it make sense for me to kind of cut in here and explain my relationship with the series so far? Sure. Go ahead. So I was not going to watch it because I don't watch zombie shows. Exactly. (laughs) You said, I don't like the tension. I don't. (laughs) But I was a little bit intrigued because some of it was filmed in Calgary, where I live, and also in Edmonton, which is a few hours away, and the High River, and kind of like just around the province. And there's like in the second episode, they're walking along this flyover, which is like right by my company's headquarters. And it was so cool because somebody (laughs) I work with took a photo of the like as he was watching on tv where he's like hey look what look at our building and it's like bombed out (laughs) but i remember when they were filming that day because it was the day that one of my favorite people i've ever worked with it was his last day of work we were doing his going away luncheon a couple blocks away from the office and he was late to his own going away lunch because it was blocked off for filming 
And he couldn't figure out how to get to the restaurant we were eating at. And then we're like, what's that? Oh yeah, they're filming the show. And and so now it's like, it's here. There it is. That's that thing. That's amazing. And I, yeah, so I truly wasn't going to watch any of it. And then I saw everybody in my Twitter anyway, freaking out about episode three and how beautiful it was. And so all I knew was that there was like this gay love story there. And then I had people start reaching out to me saying that I specifically should watch this episode. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you haven't seen the other two. And I think you might've been one of the people who's like, are you going to watch this one? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. maybe I reached out to you and said, I'm going to watch this one either way. (laughs) Um, But then Neil watched it and I said, well, what do you think? Because he's kind of my do you think this is going to be a problem for me or not? Cause he right. knows that I, like, I have a really, the problems I have with horror, with the horror genre are multiple. Like I don't like things that ramp up my anxiety. So stuff with like a lot of tension can be a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't like body horror, which is its own problem in and of itself. And so when you put the two together, it's like, well, I mean, isn't this <laughs> like, aren't we talking about <laughs> zombie shows? And he said, I'm going to tell you all the parts that might be a problem for you. I'll walk you through the whole thing. And he did. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do this. And yeah. Do you want to tell the people what it's about? First of all, I have to start off by saying like, everybody knows that I, I am a walking deadhead. Um, And if (laughs) you see yourselves a walking deadhead, I'm going with that. Um, And if you've seen any of the shows or the offshoots, you know, that basically everyone dies. Everyone dies on the series, basically. I mean, there's a couple of people mm-hmm. left, but when you least expect it, like a very prominent player dies. A player, I say player, uh, character <laughs> dies. You know, it's morbid and it's sad, but that's kind of the reality of these apocalyptic shows is like, okay, are you going to survive this apocalypse or not? And <laughs> the answer is no, no, you're not. Rarely, rarely. <laughs> so the whole time I like, I'm watching this episode and the whole time I'm waiting for somebody to die. Because Mm -hmm. that is how television has programmed my mind. So I'm waiting for a knife or a gun. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens is Bill has built himself in his small little town. He has built himself like the perfect apocalypse block. He's a prepper. Yeah, he is a survivalist. Like he has a secret bunker under his house. It's got like a bajillion guns Mm -hmm. and ammunition and just... And he, he ends up putting like a, a security gate around. I don't, I, you see one side. Yeah. So you don't know how long, how big this thing is, but it's, it's at least a block long. Mm-hmm. And he hears some noise and somebody has fallen down this hole that is outside of the, the, it's kind of one of the, um, that he does. Um, yes. So it's like a secret trap sort so, of. And so yeah. somebody falls down it. So he's like, shit, I got to go out there. So in the meantime, like he's the coolest person because he like grabs a boat and he like, goes out and he gets gasoline and food and it's like he hits the home depot or whatever Mm -hmm. some big huge thing and he like has all this stuff so he like like for years he has been building on he's been by himself and he's okay with that and so he he hears this this person fall because he has these video cameras everywhere so he goes and he's like who are you what are you doing why are you here and it's frank is it frank Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Frank. So so this guy's like, oh, it's just me. I was with 10 people, but everybody's dead except for me. And so the whole time, so he helps him, he gets him out and he's like, mm-hmm. here, I'll feed you a meal, but you have to go because I don't want all the freeloaders to know that about this place. I need you to get out of here. Mm-hmm. So the whole time, I'm not even kidding. The whole time I'm thinking he's going to kill him. He's going to mm-hmm. kill Bill. He's going to pull a knife on him because this is what always happens. 
You start mm-hmm. trusting somebody in any of these zombie apocalypse movies, franchises, whatever, and you're always disappointed in humanity. Like that's just the mm-hmm. way it is. So, so the whole time I'm like, oh my god, it's like he's gonna kill him. He's gonna take everything. It's just, it's awful. This is gonna happen. So, like, so the first time, I mean, for the first 20 minutes of this episode, I'm like stressed out. And then when you finally, re- finally realize that that's not gonna happen, I missed out on a lot of the beautiful romantic stuff of this episode. Mm-hmm. I really did. So then I had to watch it again because it that's was- the thing. Like he, he thinks it's just some drifter who's off to the next quarantine right. zone. Right. And instead, what we actually get is a complete love story. That you're and not expecting at all. I was not expecting that. No, I read a really interesting interview with, I don't know if he's the showrunner. I, I assume he's the showrunner, but if nothing else, he's the guy who wrote the episode. Just saying that they knew the first two episodes were tense. And they wanted to like shift gears a little bit, like just like downshift a bit, let people chill out before it gets back into things are tense everywhere with Ellie and Joel. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even know that this episode, like I just went, oh, new episode. Like I don't read about Mm -hmm. it because I don't want to know. Like there are just certain things I just don't want to know. I just want to enjoy it because I don't get a lot of zombie stuff that's worthwhile. So Mm -hmm. I just like went into this and that's why I was so stressed because I didn't know about anything. You know, I didn't know that this was going to be a sweet, romantic, just a a heart felt and heart wrenching episode all in one. I I was not expecting that. And so then when I finally got it, I was like, shit, I got to watch this again because like Mm -hmm. I was just too stressed about like humanity failing, like everything else that I watched zombie like. So yeah, so so it was absolutely beautiful, and they were together for I think do, about do we twenty years. It? Yeah, twenty years. I didn't well, know how far we want to go with this. It's I think it's fa- like I don't think we need to kind of get into all the nitty gritty details, but I think it's mm-hmm. fair the way people have talked. You don't cry as much as people have talked about crying, right? If you know, but I would say for the people like me. If you're a gigantic baby who can't handle zombie <laughs> shit, I promise you can handle this episode. There is one zombie in it. It is completely immobilized, so it can't attack right. anybody. And, you know, they're not killed by a zombie. Right. They're not killed by it's, raiders. Right. And I absolutely. Okay. So, like, the only time I got emotional during it, like the second time. But yeah. I tell you what, freaking Linda Ronson, that song mm. at the end, mm-hmm. like that. And then the very last scene, like, pow, that was amazing. That was. Yes. Do you mean the last of them together? Because it, it is framed by Ellie and Joel. And so there's like, it's, um, oh God, what do you call that? There's a literary term for like the frame so the frame around the episode is mm-hmm. ellie and joel are passing through they need to get supplies and joel knows joel has known bill and frank for a while and right. so this is one of his because he has a network of places that he stops for stuff and so they're going to be stopping there and so it kind of goes into oh what's bill's story oh what's bill and frank's right story and then it comes back to them at the end but- at the very last scene, it's looking out of the bedroom window. Yes. You're seeing them drive off. But here's the cool thing. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. notice this the first time I watched it. But the second time I watched it, there's a beautiful portrait of Bill 
yeah. that Frank has painted up on the wall. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, this, this is a beautiful episode. And so like, if you're a zombie person, like I am, just know that this is just a sweet episode that you're going to get. So the thing that I love about it, and I'm going to preface this here and I'm pausing mm. on purpose to make it easy to edit. So I guess mm. I want to say if this feels like too much, we can cut it out. Okay. The thing that I love. Oh, fuck. I'm going to cry talking about it. Like, oh, my is, God. Look at there. I know. Cool. I know. <laughs> no show has done this to me like the ending of The Good Place. But like for me, it was so powerful to see two men of that generation. Yeah. Get to choose how they go out. Because they did get to choose. Right. Like. Right. Yes. We see how. They're really, we, we see how everything ends, but it ends together and on their terms. And like, okay, Bill didn't have friends because he was a fucking weirdo prepper that didn't make <laughs> friends with anybody. Survivalist, right? right? Like, yeah, but right. like, Frank had friends. Frank mm-hmm. probably lost a lot of them to AIDS. And so to see two men of this generation where so many of their peers were gone, like, that's the, you know, it's not unusual for older gay men now to most of their circle is significantly younger than them. Mm-hmm. And people wonder what's up with that. Well, what's up with that is that all of their chosen family died. They were right. wiped out in a pandemic that a government allowed to happen. And so to have that kind of like, there's all, not that whatever the, thing that turns people into zombies is the same as AIDS, but just to see government mismanagement right? and how and things turn out in two different ways. And to see that there can be like, to me, it's still a happy ending. It's a really oh, beautiful yeah. oh, ending sure. and a really fitting ending. And I that, loved, I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, no, no. I was just going to say that they got the ending that so many men didn't get. Right. And I love that the show gave that to them. I love the words. I love that yes. you said gruff Bill is like, he, uh, like the words, like, you know, how me and yes. my quotes, I mean, it's so cute because he's like, I'm old. I'm satisfied. You were my purpose is what he tells yes. Frank. I know. And I Frank is ruined. like, <laughs> I know, cause I oh don't my support God. this, but it's incredibly romantic. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I was so ruined by the end of that. I texted Chris and I was like, I don't know what to do with myself now. Like, what do I do? Because it was, was like, I think 8.30. I was like, what do I do? And she's like, is it too late for an edible? I was like, no, it's not. This is the Good best idea. idea. And so that's what I did. If Nick oh. Offerman, because Nick Offerman plays Bill, if he does not get an Emmy, he will have been robbed because he was incredible. He like, really was. the change in Bill. Mm-hmm. From the beginning to who he is by the end, even like his posture is different. Like it's just he's I don't in love. He's in love. And was love. and was truly transformed by it. And was still himself, mm-hmm. but really right. was able to become the best version of himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna end this just by reading this. But again, like I want to, I want to go back to the whole Linda Ronstadt song. I just oh, yeah. laughed that perfect way to yes. end it. But so here, so this was, so he leaves a letter that Joel finds. Actually, uh, Ellie finds it, but gives it to Joel. She doesn't finish it. But 
I, uh, I wrote this down because I thought this was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes, I used to hate the world and I was happy when everyone died. But I was wrong because there was one person worth saving. And that's what I did. I saved him and I protected mm-hmm. him. That's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do. Yeah. So, and then, and then he ends it with, and God help any motherfuckers who stand in our way. So, <laughs> so I mean, that line, everything else was amazing. <laughs> right. I think that line was actually really fitting though. Like again, True. so Bill, he didn't lose who he was. <laughs> right. Right. He was gentle and soft. And then he was still like yeah. a survivalist. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you saw, he was on Jimmy Kimmel and there was also a similar quote in a piece in Vulture about this, but Nick Offerman was actually booked to do something else at the same time and was like, oh no, what do I do? And passed his wife, Megan Mullally, the script. And she finished it and she said, buddy, you're going to Calgary. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have a choice. You have to do that. Very important. Very important. Yes. So that was my recommendation for this week. What about you, Tara? What is your official recommendation? My official recommendation is something that I've been looking forward to for a very, (laughs) very long time. It is the villain series by Lee Winter. It's a duology. The first book is called The Fixer. The second book is called Chaos Agent. For people who have read The Red Files and Under Your Skin, you will already be aware of who Michelle Hastings is, and you probably rightfully hate her guts. Because she did something horrifically bad to Catherine Ayers before the events of the Red Files. She is the reason why Catherine Ayers went from being like the top political reporter in the U.S. to, you know, doing celebrity gossip in L.A. And it tells the redemption and love story of Michelle Hastings, (laughs) which is always kind of an interesting, like, can you redeem a villain? So, okay. We're going to get, I'm going to give you a little bit of what each book is about. I'm not going to share any of the spoilery stuff. Let's start with The Fixer. With The Fixer, Michelle Hastings is the CEO of a shadowy organization called The Fixers. Basically, if you have like a shit ton of money and you want to have, you know, use some of that money to secretly either create a problem or deal with a problem, (laughs) that is who you call because they will do it by whatever means are necessary, ethical, moral, or legal. She hires Eden Lawless, who is actually like an environmental activist. (laughs) I know, isn't it? So she hires Eden to deal with the corrupt mayor of Eden's hometown uh, because somebody has called the fixers and said a re-election is happening and you need to make sure, oh, sorry, an election um, is happening and said you need to make sure that she is not re-elected. And Eden is the only person who has ever been able to get the mayor to crack. And it was something that happened when Eden was quite young. She was in college, but it led to some events that she was like, I'm never coming back to this town. But it's kind of one of those, like, it's a, it's an offer you can't refuse because mm-hmm. she's told that if she managed, if she pulls it off, she's going to get like a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is like, if you think you're an activist, that much money, that can be life-changing. <laughs> Or it can go to like incredible causes that you care about. Eden doesn't know that she's basically working for Evil Incorporated. And she also doesn't know (laughs) how unusual it is that her new boss wants to check in with her every night on Skype to keep track of her. Because usually Michelle does not check in with people. And then like a bunch of other shit happens that, like I said, I'm not going to get into for spoiler reasons. Let's just say Eden does the job. 
the job is done. I won't say how it goes, but the job is done by the end of the book. Eden and Michelle have no idea that their crushes on each other are mutual, but there is no, like at that point, it's still just crushes, right? Not mm -hmm. together. Nothing has been admitted. No kisses, no nothing. And Michelle hires Eden to work full time for the fixers, <laughs> which is not how I thought that was going to end, but okay. And I will say that book is actually quite lighthearted, which is interesting because there's a there's a tone shift with Chaos Agent. So in Chaos Agent, Eden starts her job. She still has no idea that she's working for <laughs> Evil Incorporated. She doesn't know because nobody's telling her. She just goes about being herself. She charms the shit out of everybody. Even people that are like, what is happening? She fills the office with plants. <laughs> <laughs> she, starts a, she starts like this or, organic fair trade coffee club. <laughs> like, she's doing all these things and she's creating all of this chaos because everyone on payroll has been told that they cannot let her know what their company is doing. And then at the same time, you know, their crushes are growing more mutual all the time, but they still don't talk about it until one day Eden learns who the fixers really are. Oh, and who Michelle really is and some of the things that Michelle is responsible for. Which, of course, you know, Michelle is an ardent and effective activist. She quits right away. She has to take them down, no matter how she feels about mm -hmm. Michelle Hastings. And then a lot of other stuff happens that I'm not going to tell you all about mm. because of spoilers. <laughs> but there is a happy ending is where I'll leave it. Because it is ultimately a romance. But it right. also has so many kind of other things to it. And so, like I said, the first one is very lighthearted and the second one is very interesting and not lighthearted. And I actually don't think it's angsty as much as it interrogates a lot of really complicated things. So this is where I'm going to get into what I loved about it. I've read a lot of Ice Queen stories. You know that I yes. am a big <laughs> fan of Ice Queens, right? Like. Tell me it's an ice cream story. I'm going to read it. I've never read one like this before Ooh. because typically in ice queen romances, the ice queen kind of like melts for her love interest. Right. But then is still kind of like icy with everybody else by the end. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that at all. It is a complete transformation story. We come to understand why Michelle became an ice queen. And then we see her on her total undoing. Like, I'm sure it's something she can still summon if and when she needs to. It's not like she's lost the capacity to sort of operate in that way. But it's really like, how does Michelle go back to who she actually is at her core, the essence of herself? And then Eden also has her own transformation because, you know, she thinks the world is like black and white, every, you know, right and wrong. All the lines are very clearly delineated. And this is where she learns that it's not actually like that. I was so relieved and I very much appreciate that even though they do start in a boss employee situation that is not where they're at when they get together when they get together they are very much not in that way there is only a power imbalance insofar as Michelle has way 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 more money than Eden does so there's like a financial imbalance but otherwise it's not like you know one has power over the other in terms of like actually being able to make a living and their employability and whatever. This is also the slowest burn probably <laughs> that I've ever read in a romance because they don't get together until like three quarters of the way through the second book. Wow. Like there's that kind of 
coming to understand each other and mm-hmm. all that that happens before then. But it works. There's a really deep exploration of trauma there. Um, so like I said, we come to really understand why Michelle is the way she is, but also why Eden is the way she is because she has her own damage. And at the heart of it, I think this story is trying to figure out, can anyone ever fully achieve redemption for doing Hmm. terrible, terrible things? Can forgiveness actually be achieved? And something that I loved about this book, and I actually think could end up being quite polarizing. I think people are either going to love it or they're not going to love it is that there aren't actually really easy answers. And this book does not let Michelle off the hook for the things she's done. It helps us understand why she did them, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say that anything she did was okay. And I think part of why that might make people uncomfortable is we're living in an age where more and more people are demanding corporate accountability. Mm -hmm. And especially the executives of companies that are responsible for bad things happening. I don't think this is going to appease the people that want that fully. And that's okay, because I think it's important for us to challenge ourselves and our our own perspectives. Like for me, I was uncomfortable reading some of it. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I actually really liked that because I sat back and started to poke at like, well, okay, why am I uncomfortable? Right. Like to me, that's the sign of a really great book. If it makes me sit back and want to like pull everything apart and like, I actually don't feel like by the end, Michelle will ever be truly absolved of all the things she's done. I think instead she's, she evolves into the kind of person who knows how to live with her past. And it was just like, it was really delicious and showed this kind of it's it's not what I expect out of a romance I guess hmm. like not that romance can't make you think I think it's just that like I've been gravitating towards more of the fluffier ones in the last right. five years and this is not fluffy <laughs> it's this a lot of that. things <laughs> no this is not that um it has some really fantastic side characters Michelle's grandmother lives with her And she's this like nosy, chatty, bubbly, heart forward Jewish woman who's very, very old. And I love her very much. My other favorite side character is probably the Fixer's head enforcer. His name is O'Brien. He's, uh, well, I can't pronounce his first name, but he's like from Ireland and he's like, he'll fuck you up. But also he's a teddy bear (laughs) and I just, I love him. So I... Do want to give out content warnings for people just so they know there's a scene at one point where I felt like the consent was pretty dubious between Michelle and a side character. It's way before she and Eden get together. I know some people are never okay with either love interest in a romance having sex with somebody else, but I, it fully makes sense. There are estranged family dynamics in this book for both leads. There is a physical assault that happens on the page. There is also a very bad sexual experience that happens off the page that isn't technically assault, but was traumatizing nonetheless. So just things to be aware of. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend this though. I actually think these two books together would be an incredible book club read because it's just so layered and there's so much there that can, that you can dive into. And, you know, I think we've talked about before that I've had a harder time 
uh, just like getting into nice. books and staying in them mm-hmm. in the last few years. And these ones held my attention in a way that hasn't happened since truth or measure and above all things. Like it's just, huh, it sucked me in. It held me. It's so good. I love these characters. It makes me want to go back and read the red files and under your skin uh, yeah. and then read mm-hmm. these again. And the thing that I think is kind of incredible, I meant to say this up front, but we're going to close with it. Lee Winter never intended to re- to write these books. She never intended to tell Michelle Hastings' love story because she's awful. She did horrible <laughs> things right. to Catherine Ayers, who is, again, one of my favorite ice queens. And I know many people love her, including, you know, the author. And... I can't remember I read this if it was I think it might have been in a blog post or in her newsletter or something like that but she became friends with the narrator Angela Daw who has been narrating some of the books for mm-hmm. Ilva. I first got to know Angela Daw because she did one of the um one of Nalini Singh's series and Nalini Singh is this like incredibly popular paranormal and urban fantasy romance author like mainstream author so I first heard of her like a decade ago and I was like oh shit she's doing stuff for Ilva this is a good time I like this and she's been doing some of Lee Winter's books and they've become friends and so she gets her to narrate the occasional short story and there's this one short story it's so fun I cannot remember what it's called but she basically gets four bad people from across her books in there one of them is actually the lead from Requiem for Immortals One of them is Michelle Hastings, and then I forget the other two. And I guess there was something about the way Angela Daw narrated Michelle Hastings that it just, like, unlocked all this stuff. Nice. And so she was like, I got to write this story. (laughs) And I got to say, I'm so glad she did. (laughs) And now I want other people to read it because I need people to talk to about it. So please read it. Come find me on Twitter. I want to talk to people about these (laughs) Um, cause Chris has deadlines and I can't make her do it. Yeah. I want to, but yeah, deadlines. Ugh. Write your book. Until May. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm out until like May, the end of May. Okay. Come back to I me in May. Reading. Okay. I will. <laughs> that is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a friend that you think would like it, please tell them about it. If you'd like to support us, the links are in our show notes to our coffee and our newsletter sign up. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that too. Or you can just search for Curly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter, which is yes, still standing. I still stand by it. I can't believe it. I know. Or email us at Queerly, I'm sorry, look at that. Or email us at podcast at QueerlyRecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and I could not be more excited. Um, it was a tough game. I really, I thought we weren't really getting a lot of calls that we deserved. Um, and in typical Chiefs fashion, they kind of started off a little sluggish, and then 
second half picked up and won the game the last couple of seconds. So it was a perfect ending to a perfect season. And I kind of feel somewhat responsible because I wrote a book about football and there's a lot of Chiefs in it. So I will take this win. And like the whole town, we're just so excited. I can't wait to go to the, um, the parade. So go Chiefs!